Hello, my friends, and welcome to PM School, an educational platform for women entrepreneurs aspiring to start, scale, and exit epic businesses. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, businesswoman by day, personal development author, founder, and investor by PM. Come with me each episode as we go behind the scenes with epic entrepreneurs and with the epic experts who support them along their way. So grab your glass of wine, grab your biz bestie, because it is about to get real. Are you ready? Pull up your seat because class is in session. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of PM School. I am so stinking excited for you guys to meet today's guest. Her name is Sage Lohman, and she is the founder and creative inspiration behind Epic Sage Aubrey handbags, which are small batch crafted in Florence, Italy with the finest Italian leathers, overseen by one of the most epic women in the world who oversees the production of literally the world's top luxury goods coming out of Italy. And I'm telling you guys, Sage is a self-made woman. If you listen to this episode, just a few things you'll hear in it is that she had no education in the fine leather goods space. She was put through the fire of designing, sampling, crafting, manufacturing, and developing what you see today as a Sage Aubrey brand. But she is breaking the rules of luxury by bringing women together. Every Sage Aubrey bag represents the opportunity for a new friendship to be forged by women of like minds to connect. Her bags are iconic. You'll know one when you spot one in the wild. And a woman carrying this bag is a woman that kicks a door open for another woman and pulls her through that door. I'm telling you, this episode will blow your mind. It will inspire you. You will want to run through walls. You will know that it's not how many times you get knocked down, but how many times you get back up. This is a good one, you guys. So I'm so excited. As a reminder, I don't do ads or anything like this on this podcast. This is all about elevating and inspiring, ambitious, up-and-coming women entrepreneurs. So if you get value out of this episode, if you like it, if something strikes a chord, the only thing I ask of you is this. Send it to a friend. Post it on social media. Help me spread the word, spread the mission, spread the vibe, spread the goodness of women supporting women, inspiring women, and pulling each other up into our highest potential. Okay, without any further ado, here is my episode with Sage Lohman, the founder of Sage Aubrey. Let's get into it. Sage, it's so awesome to meet you. I'm so excited to just jump straight into things. Thanks for coming on PM School Podcast. I'm so excited to be here today. And I'm honored. This is a it's a big deal for me to always be able to come out and support the women who support me. But at the same time, be able to connect and share our stories, which hopefully will inspire other women to either take the plunge and or can be like, okay, deep breath. I'm like this too, you know? So yeah, I know in, in the the episodes that I've listened to you speak on of other people's podcasts, I'm I'm kind of like in that second bucket of like, oh, I'm like this too. Oh, okay. Like success is possible for me. So appreciate you being an expander in so many ways. Where the show starts is as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh boy. So, um, never, I never really understood that I was like a creative woman until actually like post high school or maybe like in the middle of high school. So like growing up, I didn't really realize what my strengths were. And I wasn't like a kid that was like, oh, I'm going to be this when I grow up, you know? But what was interesting about me was like, I loved selling. I loved cash registers. And I would do whatever I could that on the weekend. So like, I wasn't allowed to watch TV growing up. So we had no other choice but to be creative and play out in the desert because I live in Phoenix. 
And I would literally like collect random sticks and like dead desert plants and put them into these little like sashes and try to sell them as like potpourri or I was always lemonade or I would find random things and just try to like sell them. Like I was always, which is really interesting. So that's one of the things I don't think I knew what I wanted to do, but I loved selling things. The second thing I went through this whole phase that I thought I was going to be a brain surgeon, which trust me, you do not want me to be a brain surgeon. And the other thing was like, I always saw myself as something that was powerful and I didn't know what it was, but I always envisioned myself being something like a powerful kind of woman. And I, and I, and I didn't know what that meant, but that's the best way I could translate it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I similarly always felt that way. Like, like the sky's the limit for me. And I don't know if it was, you know, kind of given to me by my parents, that vision of like, like limitless potential and, and ability to like impact at a greater scale than just, you know, my neighborhood. But I love that. Also love the fact that you loved sales as a person who is in sales by day, it's like something where I think a lot of people are like, Ooh, sales is icky, but I love it. I'm like, Oh, if I can like give you something in exchange for money that makes a meaningful change in your life or in fact, like that's so cool. And to find that in yourself at such a young age is pretty, pretty awesome. Oh, absolutely. And like, I, I think it's like the challenge too. you know, like the chase, there's something for me that I've always got to be chasing and challenging myself. And if I'm not, I'm like miserable. So it's like, I'm like one of those crazy psychotic people where I always have to challenge myself to the next place. And even when I'm like, no, I'm just going to like sit back and chill. Then I become crazy again. So I'm like, okay, I've always got to be chasing something and the thrill, like thrill seeking almost, but not in a sense of like, I like to jump off of mountains. It's just, I always like to be pushing myself like to the next limit. Yeah. Oh man, that, that so resonates. I'm constantly finding like my old ceiling as my new floor and thinking like, why do I do this to myself? Like, this is, <laughs> why am I constantly pushing myself outside my comfort zone? But that's, that's where growth happens. Yeah. It's a love hate relationship. <laughs> yeah. I think I recall from a podcast you were on that not only did you have this obsession with like selling things when you were a kiddo, but as you got into high school, I think you started a jewelry line with your mom and your sister. Tell me about that. Yeah. So in high school, my, it was not a jewelry line. We sold like handbags. We had like this little mini boutique situation. Mm -hmm. And actually to be completely truthful, we sold kind of like gray market handbags before we. (laughs) So what we did was we, we were buying them from a gal at our salon. And so my mom was like, gosh, if she's doing this, like we can totally do this. So we took a trip to San Francisco, myself, my mom and my sister, and we had like $1,500 and we're like, we're just going to go to the flea market and try to find someone we can buy these bags from. Lo and behold, we did find somebody and he became like our first partner for what we were doing. The business grew really large, really pretty quick over the course of like four years. And then we figured out that what we were doing was illegal. So, because it became illegal. So we were like, okay, that's not great. But here's the lesson that I learned from it. At 14, my mom and my my sister and I, we just set up like literally garage sale signs and tables down on the different streets of our um, neighborhood. And we would point to be like, oh, here's like clothing and cute bags. Come like shop our little store that was outside on tables outside of our house. From that, our salon owners um, started to figure out that we were doing this and then invited us to come in to start having parties. Then we did home parties. Then we were doing purse parties everywhere. Then we were shipping product and goods out to people. So like I sat in people's homes and sold them bags at a very young age, but something more important happened from that. It wasn't just the sale. It was the connection of with all these different women. And I was like 14 to you know 18 years old when this business was going on. And I sat and listened to these personal stories of women and I made these connections with women and started to hear stories and lives of women, grown women from like a young age. And I think that that was something else that fueled my intention and the businesses that I've ever had since then to always be protective of women and do something that's uplifting. So I think that that, although what I was doing was gray market. I don't know if that's illegal. I don't know. Really not. I think most people think love 
being around women. I love talking with women. There's a lot of people who don't know how to deal with like strong women and talk to women and make, and like have personal relationships with women and connections with women, but it's literally my favorite thing. And I, and it's, that was something that was ingrained from me from that age going on forward. I've always been like a woman who likes to protect women and really help women. And I think that's one of the things that formed that in like who I am as a woman today. And I mean, to, to have that impression at such a young age too, and, and know that like you are kind of magnetized and like excited by that type of environment is such an opportunity. So this is all happening in high school. Mm-hmm. There's a moment in life, right? Where you get to the cliff of like education or entrepreneurship or what's the next step. Tell me what was the next step for you beyond high school? So, so I became obsessed with having this business and like literally all of my weekends, everything we did was building this, this like little mini business from, like I said, from garage sale signs. And from that point, I was like, wow, I really love style. I love fashion. This is who I I will be involved in this in some realm. I always thought I was going to be in the makeup and perfume world. And once I started to research how to become like a nose for fragrances, so someone who like actually creates scents, I realized that it was really like this major prestigious thing out of like Paris. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to realistically be a nose for fragrances in Phoenix, Arizona. So I was like, so what's like my next thing? I was like, oh, I want to create like what a fragrance looks like. So I went to school for cosmetic and fragrance merchandising. I went to fit them in LA and that was really like the next pillar of really taking fashion or beauty or like my interest seriously. I still, at this point, did what I was going to do with it. I just knew I was interested in it. And I knew that I could be, I thought I could be like good at it. So I went to fit them for a couple of years. It's a whole long story, but the peak of it is that one day I had a meeting with the Dean and I was like, you know, I've been at the school for two years and I have not studied anything about cosmetic and fragrance merchandising. I'm supposed to be graduating next year. And I'm studying like color theory and fashion and building out like line sheets and kids fashion and stuff like that. And I was like, but this is not what I'm totally like passionate about. And she was like, oh, well, about that part of the school that you've been accepted into doesn't exist. So, yeah. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with that. But hold on a minute. I got to go tell my parents who have just been paying for this education that's not cheap and living in L.A., And I was like, oh my gosh. And like, I had to fight my parents like tooth and nail to go to fashion school. So then for me to come back to them and be like, oh, and by the way, I'm not really like, I'm not really learning anything. They were like, okay, you're coming back to school. You're going to university and you're going to do it the proper way now. I was like, okay. So literally left LA, came back to Phoenix. I was going to community college and ASU. And studying marketing and business and stuff like that, trying to fool myself that I was going to be like this student. And I had money saved from the business in high school. And one day I came up with this idea that I was going to have a boutique. So I went to my parents at 21. I was like, I'm going to go to Magic. That's in Vegas, like next weekend. I need X amount of cash because I'm going to open a store. Literally, that's what I did. And so I did. And the store opened like three days before my 22nd birthday. And so that was the first next pillar of jumping into kind of like the fashion business. And I opened my first women's clothing boutique when I was 22. I expanded to men's boutique. I had online shopping website. We did pop-ups everywhere. Ended up expanding to like a huge location. And in 2008, the economy crashed. And so I had to evaluate at that time what I was going to do. In 2009, after a really, really hard year in business, because literally my sales had like dropped by like 70% within like a six-month period. I mean, it was pretty traumatic. And so the dream uh, that I just invested all of my energy into for the last six years was my stores. And I really thought that as I got into the boutique business, I started to see the other side of the industry. So that's how I kind of started to discover like, oh, this can just be kind of like another stepping stone to like owning my own brand. And I didn't know that was possible until I owned that business. And so I think where I'm going with this is that all paths lead to Rome, if that makes sense. You know, like everything that I've done in the past is just a stepping stone to kind of where I am today. 
And so if you ever wonder or sit back and think like, gosh, I'm doing something, but I don't know if it's 100% right now. Like you've got to realize that all these little things that you're doing all help you for the future of who you're becoming, you know? And I think it's still true for me today when I look back and I'm like, oh, Sage Aubrey, I feel like in the, in a lot of ways is another stepping stone to maybe another pillar of where I want to go with the future of what I want to create or build. So I think that's something that I never really understood that until I started to get older and realized, oh, these are all like amazing stepping stones. Like we don't have to do the same thing forever. We can always constantly kind of be reinventing ourselves or trying something new. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. They, they, the saying that I always look, look to is like hindsight's always 2020 and it's easy to look back and be like, Oh, I see how all these dots connect. It's so much harder to look forward and be like, these dots are connecting. Even if I can't see where that point is yet, Uh tell me what were, so to, to have had the experience that you did, you know, from, from your early twenties to your late twenties, building and scaling a multi retail, you know, retail store operation. I'm sure that you learned some really incredible business skills that are now directly applicable to what you're doing with, with Sage Aubrey. Tell me like, what were, what were kind of the, the top things that you learned in building and scaling that operation that you're most grateful for right now? But I think for one, I think one of the differences that I think one thing that sets sets me apart from other businesses when I look at other businesses and like what they're doing is that because I've always been a really heart-driven person, like I'm somebody who really cares for women and I learned the value of caring for something and starting something very small and with a lot of care and a lot of heart and a lot of hard work, you can make things possible even if you're not at the most privileged place in in the world i believe that like through dedication and through being good through good to people and taking care of people and doing things from your heart i do truly believe it does pay back and so i think one of the things that like i've always done was like i've put so much heart and emphasis into taking care of the people in my community like really probably to a fault where i could be i could be more successful if i wasn't so concerned with how I treat everybody. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think that working with women is a really sensitive subject, you know, like, and I started to learn how we all have so many insecurities. We all have so many things that we're up against, you know, whether it's like glass ceilings or our own manifestations in our own brains or having children or caring for old elderly or whatever it is. Like women carry a lot around with them every single day. And it's ex- exponentially difficult for us, more difficult for us to find success in careers and in happiness and different things. So like when I think about that and I think about building something, I'm like, how do I build in the care for women so they realize how protected they are here with me? And I and I and I know I'm talking about this a lot, but it's like so important that what we do with intention and quality, people can feel it. It's ingrained. You know, like it it really deeply is. And like when you want to start a small business and you don't have a ton of money backing you or a lot to like. There are people who start businesses with a million dollars and there are people who start businesses with like $500 and a thousand dollars. And I think what can set, set you apart is when you do things intentionally and with kindness and not every single person that you come into has to become your client or you have to make money from them, but you want to set a really, really good impression with people. And so giving back to people before you expect something in return, I think is a number one rule of mine. Like, how can I give to somebody else? How can I help someone else find success or happiness? And that does not have to return in back into something to me, but being a giving person and being a nice person, that starts to equate, like things start to multiply for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's why you do something, but it does. There is something beautiful about someone who has intention because I don't know, there's a lot of people that are just outselves 
and you can feel it from them, you know? So I think that that's something like, really think about that. I think the other thing is like, I work my ass off and I, and I'm not just saying that, like I work really hard. There's not a day that I wake up that I don't think like what's something small or big today that I could do to push my company forward. What's something small or big that I can do to make an impact on one of my customers? Like how can I, I'm always constantly trying to figure out how to push this company and this brand forward or do better by somebody today in my community. So that's mm-hmm. something really important to think about. There's a lot of people who can talk to you about investing and analytics and all this stuff, but like I don't think there's enough people talking about like actually just being a nice person and trying and working really really hard and trying your best every single day. Showing up. Just show up. Yeah. Okay. Brand things every single day. You just have to make small little steps. And your privilege is showing up every single day, every single day to try to do, okay, I'm going to do the email today. Okay. I'm going to get that social post up. Okay. I'm going to make a connection with the customer and see how they, if they have any feedback from me, how they felt about the interaction with me. Did they like my product? What could I do to improve myself? Reach out today. You can say, you know, five days of the week, you can say, okay, today on Thursdays, I reach out to one potential client or I try to find a new business lead, or I try something different on social media, or I'm going to try to make that crazy TikTok that takes too much time. Or, you know, like always just be showing up, not quitting, remembering why you started. And it sucks. Like we are all here. I'm here to tell you that I still deal with imposter syndrome. I still deal with showing up every single day is difficult. You know, I've got a family at home. I've got three kids. Like holy crap, you know, we, we're doing, we're all doing a lot, but I'm telling you, you get ahead by the dedication of showing up every single day and taking tiny steps forward. And I think that's what I've learned. Like I've just been in business for a long time and I've been running my own businesses for my small businesses for a long time. And you've got to learn to take care of people. Yeah. What you're saying is, is just really, really resonating with me. I think that being customer obsessed and being progress obsessed are the two things that can make a standout business or or make a business close doors like you really do every single day you have to show up you have to put it forth the effort you have to take one step forward it can be a big step it can be a little step but it has to be a step in the right direction and it has to be a step in the direction of serving the person that your business is meant to serve there was a story that you told on another podcast about your like complete and utter obsession around getting the design of the Sage Aubrey bag down Mm -hmm. because the shape is so iconic. Because I think like when you see a Sage in the wild, like, you know, that that's what it is. I'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of the inception point for the brand and what that journey was to take an idea out of your head and turn it into the reality that we see now. Absolutely. So I think one of the things that gave me the leg up, like I said, was owning stores and then seeing like, oh, how do I, when I would go to markets and buy, I was like, how do I become that person that sells things to someone like me who has the store? So that's how it really was. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I read a story in 2012. I read a story about Rebecca, Rebecca Minkoff in like an InStyle magazine when people like actually read magazines. And I was like, oh my gosh, she just seems like a regular girl who actually just like went for it. Right. And I was like, gosh, if she could do it, I, I sure as heck could do this, you know? And I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so easy to like design a handbag. Like anyone can design a handbag. Like, come on. Yeah. Like a little low key cocky thinking that like I could do this no problem whatsoever. And maybe that's why this business has kicked my ass for the last since 2012, just to prove. <laughs> so you actually need some grounding and some humbling because this is going to be real hard, girlfriend. So I started out like anyone else here. I had no idea what I was doing. I had a heart and passion for what I wanted to do. Like I said, I just previously lost my businesses. So I was like fresh to like really sink my teeth into becoming who I really wanted to become. And so I went to Magic, which is a clothing trade show in Vegas. And I went to the sourcing department. I was not there to buy at this time. And I started to like go and shake people's hands and be like, hi, my name is Sage. I want to create a fashion, like a a handbag fashion line. And they would all just look at me and be like, what's your distribution? What's your this and that? Like asking me all these businessy questions. And I was like, 
oh, well, I don't have any distribution. Um, I used to be a former boutique owner and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll work really, really hard and I, and I can do this. And they would just look at me and be like, no, here's my card. But like, please like kind of gave me this look, like, don't call me. And so I was like, okay, so maybe this is the perfect place for me to figure out how to like develop and build a sample. So I got home really deflated to be completely honest. And I found one company out in LA that said they did sample development for handbags. So I called them up and I was like, hi, my name is Sage. Um, I'm really eager to start my handbag line. Can you guys help me? They're like, well, you need to come to um, LA and actually like have a meeting with us in person. So I was like, okay. So my husband and I drive to LA. I was like so perky and like so fresh and so ready to get in there. And I brought all my ideas in there and I was waving my hands all over the place like a crazy person and putting all these designs in front of them and telling them how I wanted to intermix them all. And they just looked at me like a deer in headlights. And they were like, this, I don't think you're capable of this. Like literally, this is what they were telling me. And I was like, and now they had an Italian Iranian accent. So they'd be like, this is not for you, honey. And I was like, no, this is for me. I'm going to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. And I know you're not going to take me seriously, but I work harder than anyone you'll ever meet. Like this was me, honestly, in the meetings, bantering back and forth with them. And they were like, no, leave. Like literally they were telling me leave. And I was like, I'm not going to leave until you give me an, an invoice that I can pay you for to create samples. And they're like, but you don't even know what you're doing. Like you can't just come into us and have all these pictures and think that we're just going to create something out of thin air. And I was like, well, how do I do it? They're like, well, you have to go through the sampling process. We need a rendering. And I was like, well, what's a rendering? So like, honestly, I learned from no, from ground zero. I had no upper hand. I didn't know what I was doing. I was laughed at. I was mocked at. I was told to leave. I was told I was shit. I was told my samples were horrible. I just want you guys to know every single person along the way of all of this whole journey for me told me that everything I was creating was shit. So I just want you guys to know, I think the next big thing that you've got to figure out in business is how to, if you believe in yourself, you can cut through the noise of people. Like, I had to do that. I still have to do it to this day. I still try to prove myself to fashion people when they don't take me seriously. You know, so just because I've been in this business for six years now, I mean, I started developing in 2012 and I'll get back to that story, but like, I just want you guys listening. Like people are going to reject you. They're not going to believe in what you believe in. They're not going to see your vision. That is totally normal. Like let's completely normalize being rejected and being told no, and that you're not good enough because that is everything about my story everything. And it still is today. So I will never come on any place to say, I have not, I was just rejected by the fashion buyer for Net-A-Porte. Like, oh, sorry, we don't, we don't see a fit for your brand here right now. Okay. All right. But I'll be back. You know, I'll be back. Like, and I'll keep, I'll keep knocking and I'll keep making myself better and I'll keep making progress until one day they say yes. Mm -hmm. So part of the story. But so the other part is that Long story short, they, this gentleman and I would fight all the time. Like literally we would get into yelling, bantering conversations. And he was this Iranian Italian, be like, you're shit. Everything you create is shit here. You realize there's no talent. Like be yelling at me, telling me I had no talent. And so I was like, and that guy didn't realize that I'm the person that when you tell me no, or I can't do something, I will like work twice as hard to figure out how I can do something. And so it's the hell that he put me through that has placed me here today, honestly. And all of the other consecutive sample makers and uh, manufacturers that I've worked with that they all told me I was not going to make it and I couldn't do this. Um, so once one particular really hard meeting I had with him that I left and just bawled in the car for probably seven hours on the drive home from California, he was like, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do your favor. This is what he told me was his favor. He went and got the Louis Vuitton like booklet of what you can purchase from Louis Vuitton. And he said, here's the catalog. Pick out the bag you want me to make for you. I'll just stamp your name on it. And that is such, I think about that moment so often because I'm like, what if I actually would have taken this on someone else's bag? I would have been just like every other failure that was out there. So I walked away, I had this revelation and I was like, 
I have to create something. I can't just think that other people are going to find my inspiration and create it for me. I was like, who am I? Like, this is ridiculous. So I spent the next eight months. I literally did not know what I was doing. I went to Michael's. I bought all this construction paper and all these like proper tools to like figure out how to design something. And I started to build 3D models of bags. And I went and literally dissected bags for eight months. I went out and bought all different types of bags. I studied them. I figured them out. I tried to understand what leather it was, what the stitching was, how they made this certain effect in leather. And all of a sudden I started to 3D build all of my own because I could not, I could not purchase and, or take the time to go through and afford like on to how to get into Photoshop and figure out how to do all the rendering stuff. So it's like, I just have to build the stuff by myself, by my hands. And so I just started to play with bags. I started to play with shapes. I started to try them all on the ugliest things you'd ever see in your life. I cut everything up. And one day I had this bag in this one particular shape that was really flexible and I was cutting it and I cut this like geometric kind of shape and I tried it on. I was like, wow, that looks really beautiful on the body. And it's like a powerful shape. I had my mom try it on. I had my sister try it on. I had like everyone try it on. I had my husband like trying on all these like different shapes that I was cutting out. And, and I was like, okay, I think I have the shape now. How I, how do I make this into like a 3d bag? And literally that's how I did this. I, by millimeter by millimeter, by literally taping like little construction pieces together. Eventually after a multitude of different designs that I had, I birthed the Luna shape. And from that, I took this shape to multiple different sample makers Uh, multiple different manufacturers and built out really ugly samples, like really, truly, terribly ugly, a bag that you would never want to wear in your life, but I did it. And it was a first, I wish I almost, I need like first pictures of like my first bags, like what they are today, because really it's been a growth process of the bags from a bag that you would never want to carry to a bag that now is beautiful and people want to carry and they invest in, you know? So my, my beginnings are so humble and like so complicated and difficult. And it pushed me in every limit that you could possibly like emotionally, physically, the rejection, the, the, the being pushed out and the casted out from this industry, you know, like I totally feel like an underdog and I totally feel like I'm like coming into this whole thing as like a Trojan horse, you know, because I I'm self-built. I didn't work with anybody. No one taught me all this stuff. I literally would live in my manufacturing facilities. I was, my first facility was in the Dominican Republic. I was living in the Dominican out of this shitty freaking hotel that I luckily did not get killed at and traveling back and forth to the manufacturing facility constantly. I lived on that floor. They would ask me to leave. I was sweeping floors. So they would keep me there. Like I am self-taught through and through. I am a product of no's and rejections through and through. Like there's nothing about my story that's sexy. Nothing. I wish it was. It's completely just through hard work and dedication. And the more people told me no, the more I started to see that I had some talent that just needed to be honed. I had an ability that I could do this. And I eventually landed through a connection that I made in the Dominican Republic on the manufacturing floor, a gentleman that used to work for Colhan that worked in manufacturing facilities in, in, in Italy. Cause it's impo- like when I was starting, it was nearly impossible to get into Italy. And he opened a door for me there. And I walked because the production that I was having in, in the Dominican Republic was completely failing. And my bags are so intricate, so difficult to sew so complex, so complex, so complicated. The design looks simple and clean, but to bring it together, bring it really takes the absolute best craftsman in the world to bring this element, to, to bring this bag together. It's about a 120 step process and it takes three different types of even just sewing machines to be able to sew and manufacture this bag. It is complex. And um, this the structure of this bag I talk a lot about the shape. Something that was really important to me when I was designing was something that represented women. And so you'll see that this the shape is really structural and strong, which is really important to me. It's also multifaceted, like the lives that we live as women. And it's also quality driven because I believe women deserve luxury and quality in their lives. 
And so, yeah, that's my spiel. So now we produce small batch craft out of Florence, Italy. I've been in this business now. We launched in late 2015. So we're going on six years in business. And nothing has been easy, but it's been such a growth process for myself. I'm a different person, more confident today, even though I've been squashed time and time again. I built confidence through this. I built friendships. I've met the most incredible women that I could have ever met through just building this company. And that's what I feel grateful for. And so no matter how difficult it is every day, I just constantly remind myself, like, look what you've come through and look what you can do. You know, like it's all possible. And I've also learned that rejection and failing is the process. This is how we do what we do, you know? And it's so important that everyone listening on here recognizes that if you're not failing, then you're not progressing. So tell yourself that every single day. If you're not making those connections and they're not, you know, saying no, then you're not making enough connections, you know? Yeah. To me, like, well, one, you know, they say it's not how many times you get, you, you throw a punch. It's how many times you get knocked down and get back up. And like, you're just epic at getting back up. The second thing is like, I hope that the the women that listen to this show will go and look up the structure of the bag and see every no, every, you know, <laughs> Arabic Italian beatdown that you got in it. Tell me, so so you you're going through this, you're just in the fire. You are in the fire. You're in the Dominican Republic. You make this connection. This Cole Han guy opens a door for you in Italy. You walk through that door. What's your first meeting in Italy like? Oh. <laughs> So I had just come off of three weeks prior to that. I had just got back to Phoenix. I was waiting for my production to arrive at my doorstep from the Dominican production. And it arrives on my doorstep. It got smashed on freight. So bags that are large and structural literally came to my doorstep, smashed in half. I would have bawled. I just would have been like... I I cried and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm done here. Like I have no more money. How am I? I I have, this was all, I had invested all that I had into that production. And so I ended up recouping about 5,000 or $6,000 from that between UPS and from that manufacturer. But initially he just wanted to screw me. And I had contacted the Italians and the Italians said, we are going to be at Lena Pinelli in Milan on these dates. Come and see us. Okay. So I tell my husband, I was like, this is the last of what we got. We got to go. And he was like, yes, absolutely. We're getting on the plane. We're going to Italy and we are not leaving Italy until we have a proper manufacturer. We're not going through this anymore. This is now four years of building this company before anyone ever saw this company. I started in 2012 and now this is 20, the beginning of 2015. So this is like a sense of like the financial implications of this. This is like tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like what was the Um, level at that point? thousands, but like tens of thousands at that time. And I would say some of the most expensive things were the fact that I had to travel to all these countries. I had to live there because if I left, they would not produce. They would not sample. Samples would go missing. My production would go array. They would stop my production. Like every reason that they had to not produce or to not sample for me, here's why. This is what they don't tell people. 98% of people who start fashion businesses fail. Everyone fails. So that's why they tell you at every doorstep at when you're when you start manufacturing or something they don't want to invest time in you because they think you're going to fail. And they know you're going to fail. So for you, you're a lost, you're you're just wasting their time. That's what it is. So I realized that and realized okay, well I don't I don't want to fail. I actually want to be good and another really great learning opportunity for me is to sit on these production floors and figure out how these how to actually produce product. Like if I'm going to be a manufacturer, I'm going to be a designer, I'm going to be a manufacturer. I've got to, I've got to understand everything. A lot of designers just work on their computers and they design shit. They don't really know how things come together particularly. And so it's something else that's really, um, I think, important is being on your production line, understanding how things actually are made, you know, or crafted or produced, whatever it is. So now I get into Italy. I have smashed bags shit smash bags. Okay. So now I'm at this like really prestigious place where they sell leather at Lena Pinelli in Italy. Now going to be dealing with Italians. 
So we're walking around, we're walking around, we're walking around and we finally find the booth and I'm in there with these like crap samples, like I said, that were really pretty ugly in the first place and now they're smashed. And so I go up to their booth and it's really intimidating there. And I was like, hi, my name is Sage. I spoke to somebody on the email. They told me to come meet you here. They speak no English. And they're like, oh, okay. So they're kind of like, yeah, I was showing them my, my brand and my bags. And I was like, I came here for a meeting to meet with you guys. And they're like, okay, well, nice to meet you. We don't really understand English is basically what they were telling me. Let's set up a lunch tomorrow and you'll meet my dad and my sister and my sister can translate because she speaks English. So we're like, okay, great. So we end up meeting them wherever they were in Sorrento and we go to lunch and I'm showing them my bags and they bring me to the manufacturing facility. Okay. First I go to the manufacturing facility. Then we go to lunch and I'm showing them bags and explaining to them my like ideas for the collection and all this stuff. And the dad looks at me and I was like, so would you help me create a, a proper collection? And he looked at me and he was like, no, across the lunch table, we're drinking wine, eating really good Italian food. And his daughter looks at me and she's like, no, he's not interested, but hold on. So they go back and forth and they're like now yelling and yelling at each other back and forth in Italian. And she's like, here's the deal, Sage. My dad doesn't want to help you, but I want to help you. And I want to help you figure out how to make and build out a collection properly. And we'll build it out around this supposed Luna shape that you have. Okay. Cause I only had like really smashed bags at the time. So we go in, she literally takes me underneath her arm. I am living in and out of this little town outside of Milan called Sorrento. I'm living in a little Airbnb where I actually found out, which is just a total side note of the story. The gal who owned the Airbnb kind of became like my Italian mother and she ended up owning the whole state like or like that whole province of where I was actually in, like the whole city. She's like, oh, I own this city, by the way. I'm like, I didn't even know you could do that, but that's amazing. So I, I had this like amazing little like network. And so this little Airbnb that I would stay in, I would walk to the manufacturing um, facility every single day. I would sit and stay there all day long. Like literally they would go out for lunches and I would just sit there and stay and like study leathers and try to understand what I was doing. I would take notes in Italian of all these different sayings that they would say that I didn't understand. She walked me through how to get effects in leathers. She walked me through the leather industry. She taught me like how to sample and how to design and how to go through the whole process. Like I actually, she actually like mentored me. Someone who has lived, eat and breathe this every single day of her like young to adult life, right? So they ended up being my first manufacturers in Italy. And what's really important about this story was that like I said, they couldn't get me to leave. So I was always there because once again, if I left Italy, they would not be producing my stuff. So I would spend about a month or two at a time there going there every single day. So I started to meet people who would come through the manufacturing facility as well. One day, the gal who was mentoring me, um, the daughter, she came to me and she's like, there's this really nice woman here who's been in the industry for like 45 years she oversees all of the luxury for all of the biggest brands that you could think of. She's like, she happens to also be one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And she speaks English. You should come to lunch with us and meet her. I was like, oh my God, amazing. So I go to lunch and this woman, she reminds me of Miranda from, from the Devil's Worst product. That intimidating, that silver hair, like just a fucking fierce vibe. Okay. And so after lunch, she was like, you know, bring me down to the sampling floor. I want to see what you're creating. So I was like, okay. And I was like, if any of you, if any input for me, just let me know. Okay. And so I bring her down to the production floor and she oversees my sampling. And she's like, you know, you've got something really special here is what she was like telling me. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know? And I wasn't sure if she was trying to be nice to me because I've been so beaten down. So I was like, is she being nice to me or is she being like for real? Because I wasn't real. I couldn't really tell any longer who was nice and who was mean, you know, like this is the, I just, I just couldn't any longer. So I was like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, you really think I'm onto something. She's like, yeah, the shape is really interesting, Sage. I was like, okay. So she slips me her card and she's like, look, if you ever need anything, you ever need any advice, let's just stay in contact. I was like, okay. So a couple of days after she left, I had emailed her and one, and so the long of the, the long, the short of the long story is that 
she oversees some of the largest brands, luxury brands that come out of Italy. She oversees their productions. She also has taken me under her wing. And she now on the side, I'm just like this little mini client of hers, but like she now oversees my quality control. She helps me with sourcing. She helps with translations and my sample making. She like basically is my right hand in Italy. And without her, I wouldn't be where I am today. And without her, actually, I don't even know that I'd be in business in Italy because it's so difficult to do business over there. So, and my, and the business that I'm in is fickle and difficult and hard and dealing with these manufacturers is very difficult. So she really helps me with a lot of like negotiating and like the whole thing. But I think what else is really important is that when you're out there and you're working your ass off and you're hustling and you're humble, people see that and they want to see it. And it's refreshing for somebody, you know, and I would have never had this opportunity with the gal who works for me, I can't use her name because like I said, she works for a lot of really big people and she could get in trouble for helping some little minion like myself. But I, I think it's really important that when you're putting yourself out there and you're showing up and you're doing the hard work, sometimes there are God, fairy godmothers out there who come around and help you in particular difficult times. And those people are the people who see the hustle in you. And they also see something in you that maybe they don't see in somebody else. And those people exist. And I just want everyone to know that you will, at some point in your journey, when you're out there hustling, you will find these people. There will be people who will be willing to help you and to get you to the next level. But it's a matter of putting yourself out there, showing up, writing the emails, saying the thank yous. And doing the hard work, you know? And so I always say like, without her, I am literally, I would not be here today. And, you know, I think that's just another interesting lesson in my whole journey is that, you know, I may make it look easy, but everything I do behind the scenes is difficult and requires a lot of thought and a lot of money now and uh, a lot of risk all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're, I mean, again, like the story, like you, you have been in the fire. There was a, an image that I saw online of Eva Longoria carrying one of your handbags. Mm. I can only imagine like when you, when you have those moments that, that it probably feels pretty good that you didn't give up. Maybe speak on that a little bit. Whoa. Okay. That's the heavy one for me because I feel like an imposter. I'm like, how is that woman wearing my bag? And I like, I just need to be honest one more time with you guys. Look, when that happened, I paid thousands of dollars. Okay, so let me back up just a little bit. I launched in December of 2015. I had my first baby in spring of 2016. I was, Instagram was just kind of coming up. And it was at a time when Instagram, when hashtags and stuff like that were findable and everything, I was like hashtagging everybody. And you were able to communicate with buyers at that time, which is very interesting. And so we were discovered through Instagram, a buyer that went on and saw our website or Instagram or something. We got connected with them through, through a direct message at that time on Instagram. And they, she was the buyer or the junior buyer or something like that for Harvey Nichols, Bloomingdale's and another really big department store, luxury department store in the Middle East in Dubai. And they're like, your price point, we are, we're, we're putting a big investment into contemporary designers to see how they would work. We have a lot of interest in your bag and we love the shape. They love the structure. They love color and they'll love your price point. We're doing a big test. Would you be a part of that? Would you have any interest? And I was like, holy crap. Like, yes obviously. Okay. So she was like, yeah, so, but we need to see the bags in person. Do you want to send them to us? And I was like, well, where are you guys? They're like, we're in Dubai. And so I told my husband, I was like, so here's this buyer in Dubai. They're interested in looking at the bags. There's no guarantee. Like, what do I do? And he's like, we show up. You need to show up and tell them your story. So literally I had just had a one month old. He's like, but you need to be honest and tell them that you just had a baby and show up. So I was like, okay. So I I messaged them back and I said, I just had a baby. I need to wait till she's like two months to travel and has like the right vaccines and stuff to go into another country. 
And I was like, but I would love to come and present the collection to you um, in person. And they were like, okay. So they were like, okay, so here's the deal. The buyer, Jessica, she only has a few hours that she lands in Dubai in between like Milan Fashion Week and Paris Fashion Week. I was like, oh my God. So I was like, okay, well, let's just put a calendar, let's put a date on the calendar and I'll be there. So this is an important part of the story. So I go over to the Middle East. I have the baby, I have baby at the whole thing. I present to the buyers. I don't hear anything for like two weeks. I was like, oh, okay. I probably just like, like, yeah, they're probably just not interested. Right. So now I just flew all the way across the world with this tiny little baby to present this product that they probably think is shit. So then I get an email from the buyer and they're like, you know what? We're so impressed with your story. We're impressed the time that you took to design a really unique shape. We're interested in your product and we want to buy the whole collection for SS17. We're going to launch all of these like contemporary brands together in spring of 17. That for me was such a defining monstrosity of like, like a... I don't know. It felt like a fairy angel came down and had granted me this amazing freaking opportunity. And I think it was because of all the hard work and effort that I put into this for so many years. Cause now this is going on to the fourth year that like, really, I had just kind of softly launched the brand. Um, Cause I had no money at that point to even launch the brand. So long story short, we accept the POs from them and we take the next whole year to produce the product for Bloomingdale's in Kuwait and Dubai and Abu Dhabi. So we launched in store with them. It was phenomenal. It was the best learning experience that I could have ever um, been afforded. I sat right next to like Philip Lim, Alexander Wang, Sophia Holm, like all the big guys and how to think that I could ever fucking compete in that category at that time. Not possible. But it was just a really, I think it was something to give me a boost to be like, you're onto something. Let's keep going, girlfriend. Okay. So now at this point, I had only produced samples and I had never really gone into like a full production. So that was that that whole year was just like a huge learning curb of taking something that I had believed in and developed and then actually putting it into work and into place and then being within their different timelines that you have to get things into these different fashion stores. So it was just interesting. But what was also interesting about that, this was at the time, this was like the rise of fashion influencers at this time of 2016, 2017. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to be in these big stores, I need, I had a bunch of money because I, I had money from these POs. So I had money, like we were making good money going into launching this brand in store, right? So I was like, well, now I need fashion influencers to make it relevant and real, to make this brand actually come to life. So I had spent about thirty dollars to $40,000 of the money that I had made from my POs from Bloomingdale's. And I was like, okay, I'm going to invest that into PR and the brand's going to blow up. Like the brand's just going to blow up. And so the brand did not blow up from that. This is just another hard learned lesson. And I spent a lot of money. I did a lot of gifting. Yes, we were seen on Ava Longoria and Vanessa Hudgens and all of these like huge major fashion influencers. And I think I sold six bags on my online store that year. Not 60, six. <laughs> it was one of the most epic failures of one of my investments at that I still kick myself to this day because I'm like, God, what I could have done with that extra thirty to forty thousand dollars. So it's an interesting, it's interesting that we see it in one way, but when we're living it, it's a different thing, right? So there's the it's like it's like real life versus like Instagram life, right? I just want to bring a voice of this. Because that was paid for. I didn't pay her, but I paid the PR company. And that was a part of like the gifting and everything that we were doing. Does it give relevancy? Yes. Have we been seen in Vogue? Yes. We've been, you know, we've been seen all the places, but that's not technically what makes brands. It brings trust. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's really important. So for the girl who comes on, who doesn't know anything about Sage Aubrey, for her to understand, like, yes, we've been seen on celebrities, we're seen on influencers, we've been in Vogue, we've been in New Beauty Magazine, like, we've been seen in a bunch of places. It just creates trust for your customer. Yeah. So that's something to remember, that it's a value 
when you're trying to bring value to your brand. For me, I felt like a fucking imposter. I was like, how is Ava Longoria wearing my fucking bag? But amazing. You know what I mean? So I don't want to mm-hmm. sound the harsh realities, but I want everyone to feel like on the other side, you can do any of this. You know what I mean? All of this, I'm here to speaking to you today in real tone, in real voice, because I want you to really understand that that's something that we portray, but what happens on the back end of businesses are hard, difficult decisions that can be expensive, that you can lose your ass on. But once again, you pick up, you figure out how to lick your wounds and you just move on. Yeah. I want to be respectful of your time and, and kind of close things out, but there's something that I have to bring full circle here. You mentioned that like what set you on this path all along was Rebecca Minkoff. You know, if she can do it, I can figure it out too. Rebecca mm-hmm. Minkoff just recently kind of launched into like the web three space with her, her bags. And I know Sage is a platform. I know that, you know, when we look back on this business 20 to 50 years from now, like it still exists in a very meaningful way. I'm really curious. Do you have any perspective on how like fashion and like web three or like any of that is, is going to come together and, and maybe even within your brand? You know, I'm not totally sure, you know, and I, and I think she did that because that was strategy, you know, maybe her sales were falling in store. And so this is the next way to try to make her relevant. And remember a sense of what we do in fashion is entertainment. And, you know, like it's, it's something that we're always on to kind of like the next thing, you know, because you have to always be creating relevance and like what you do. So I just wonder what the business move of that is like, was it like, obviously her sales were declining in store and in large retail, which can happen to brands and it happens all the time, you know? And so I wonder if this is just her way of, yeah, moving just into a different matrix. And that's just so interesting. So I look at it like such a different, I'm like, what was, what's her, like, what's, what's, yeah. What's the move angle? Uh huh. What's the angle? Yeah. So I think that's how I see it. And I, and I, and like, as far as like the future of Sage Aubrey, I don't really know. I mean, I just think that because, you know, for the last two years, we've been going through such an odd time in our lives. Perspective has changed a lot. Also kind of living more in the present moment to be like, I just have to really live and be this really like fluid kind of person and business owner right now, because we don't know how tides are changing and what's going to happen. And so I'm just staying really, really open and hopeful that the emphasis of buying small, buying intentional, buying from women, you know, really stays relevant and strong. Like that's what I really hope is that there, and it gives more female artists a better platform to help change and eradicate some really horrible old world thinking and in the industry that I work in you know, like it's still an old boys club at the top, you know? So I think we just need more women in there. We need more, we need more people supporting small, you know, creating, like there needs to be more platforms for that and more opportunity for these people because otherwise it's just corporate, you know? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I literally have a sage on its way to me, hopefully very, very soon. (laughs) I'm so excited. Sage, if if anybody listening to this episode like has to get their hands on a Luna bag, has to see your work in action, where can they find you? How can they support you? Yes. Um, you can check us out on Instagram. It's the Sage Aubrey, T-H-E-S-A-G-E-A-U-B-R-E-Y. We're always showing kind of like the latest thing that's going on on there. You can also um, subscribe to our email. And I send actually out personal notes to my community. So it's not just trying to sell you guys stuff. I actually love to like touch about different like hot points, which is a new sort of thing that I'm trying and starting as of right now. So it's not one of those things where it's like you sign up for Steve Madden and they're emailing you three times a day about the new latest discount. And then you can also visit us on the website at www.sageaubrey.com. And we launch new product every four months and it's completely new colors, the whole new category. Once the color's out, it's out. So like we only bring in limited batches So it's really fun to snag it quick because a lot of times things go either on pre-order. If I have the colors up, we almost sell out on pre-order before we even launch the stuff. 
So, which is usually only what we do now we've learned for like our black colors, like the consistent colors, like the nudes and the blacks, but the other colors that come in are just limited drops. So you can only get them once and then they're gone forever unless you own her. How exciting is that? That after all of this time, your pre-order sells out. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's so awesome. I'm so, I feel so fortunate and I just happy that every long, every step of the way, when it's gotten really difficult for me, I've never quit. Yeah. You know, I just continue to show up and believe in what I'm doing and believe in a brighter future for women. So I just, I think it's just a matter of just continue to show up. I think if there's anything that the listener takes away from this episode, it's going to be that. Just don't stop. Just don't stop. And there's always a way. There's always a way. If you want to continue to go and you want to find success, there's always, you can always dig it up. Like you really can. I mean, and I'm, I'm a 100% of a, a total example of that, that did not start this from 100% privilege. So I just want people to know that it's all possible and you are capable and you just got to get through the hard times and you can do hard stuff. Thank you so much for being here. If you loved this podcast, and I truly hope you did, make sure you're subscribed so you'll be the first to know every time we drop new episodes. And if you haven't already, head over to pmschoolpod.com and subscribe to our newsletter so we can keep you in the loop as we release new PM School resources, invites to events, and trips abroad. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a review because it really makes an impact on our ability to book epic guests and keep this mission in motion. Last, but certainly not least, if you feel so moved, take a picture of yourself wherever you're listening and tell us what your biggest takeaways are by tagging us on Instagram at PM School Podcast. All right, until next time, go be epic. We see you. We support you. Cheers.